Hi, and welcome back to the Leading Language and Literature podcast with me, Chris Jordan. Today, I'm speaking with Amelia Bonner. Amelia is a journalist working for the Liverpool Echo, a daily print and online newspaper back in the UK. I was eager to speak to someone with expertise in the media after questioning whether or not my teaching of this specific type of mass communication was as effective or even relevant as it could be. In addition, I also thought it was a good opportunity to learn more about how to advise students with an interest in the media about their career prospects and how best to approach the industry. We discussed how Amelia came to work at The Echo and whether it was something that she'd always aimed for as a career, how journalism has changed from the time that she initially trained to the present day, the extent to which The Echo is written with social media in mind, whether clickbait is a necessary evil in the industry nowadays, how The Echo's relationship with its readership has changed in recent times, and finally, the kind of conversations editors are having about the future of the profession. Thanks again to Amelia for offering up her time to discuss the state of the media landscape, as well as offering advice on how aspiring journalists can get started. If you'd like to stay up to date on the latest podcast, feel free to describe to subscribe via Apple or Spotify or simply follow me on Twitter at ChrisJordanHK. All right, Amelia, um, can you just explain for us how you came to work at the Liverpool Echo and was it something that you'd always aimed to do as a career when you were growing up? Yeah, so I started working at my student newspaper, working as a kind of generous description of what it involved, which was just spending every weekend in a damp basement putting together a student newspaper. But I started doing that in my second year of university. Really, really loved it, enjoyed the kind of camaraderie around it, the excitement of deciding what was going to be on the front page, talking to reporters, if you could kind of call any of us that, um, and deciding what we felt was newsworthy. So I really enjoyed that. And I think it was from then on that I decided I wanted a career in journalism. It wasn't something I'd really thought of very much as a child. I was more convinced that I was going to be a pop star. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I... Um, I got into journalism through my student newspaper and so from that first summer I started doing work experience at local newspapers or anywhere that would have me really so I worked at my local paper in Wales and um, I worked at a hyper local newspaper called the Southport Visitor um, which is a satellite town kind of outside mm. of Liverpool um, I think the front page the, the front page of the week that I did my work experience there was about a mystery cat shaver who was um, <laughs> kind of abduct, abducting local cats shaving them and then returning them to their owners um, which is a brilliant, a brilliant story. But I started with that and then eventually got onto work experience on the Echo. And I'd go back every summer, every Christmas, every Easter break from university and work for free until eventually it got a bit embarrassing and they had to start paying me. <laughs> and has journalism uh, changed at all since when you, you, were, you were getting started to what it is now? Everything is faster. Um, and I always think that the the kind of the speed on the treadmill that we expect trainees and young reporters to jump onto has only gotten quicker. And I do feel for them because I think when I started, it was a very steep learning curve. And there were things about my writing that were corrected, um, sometimes quite clearly and in no uncertain terms. And I think that I found that difficult. Um, but I think now it's even harder because there are so many other expectations put upon people, not just in terms of your copy um, and the way that you write, but in terms of how that will 
then work on social media and how that will work for a digital audience and the kind of there's a lot of different considerations and I think the other thing that's changed massively which was it was still a consideration when I started but even more so now is that you have to be a multimedia reporter so you don't mm-hmm. just need to be able to write stories you need to be able to stand at a crime scene cordon and deliver a piece to camera and um, you need to be able to record your own audio you need to be able to edit your own videos while you're at a crime scene you need to be able to do all of those things provide live twitter updates um and be interacting with people on twitter all the time so i think there's basically just more of everything and everything is faster um, and everything is expected faster because people are consuming information much more quickly so I think everything's mm. gotten gotten faster and harder going going back to what you said a moment ago about the copy um it's not unusual for students to have to study or they'll get it as like an examination text or something like that uh, an article from the Guardian or the Times or the South China Morning Post or whatever to what extent nowadays coming back to the fact that you mentioned Twitter a few moments ago to what extent is like the copy or the headline or any part of the story now written with social media in mind how much of traffic are you getting via social media as opposed to unique visits to the to the website so in terms of I'll answer the last bit first if that's right because I've loaded up <laughs> okay. our we've we've got a bit of we've got an analytics tool that we use to I look see. at where our traffic is coming from every day so right now on the news section of the Liverpool website 34% of the people reading it have come from social media whether that's well, so it looks like mm. Facebook is the Facebook's the main referrer um, and then Twitter um, and Instagram is, is at the bottom there and then internal traffic makes up 31% so that's people that are just coming to our website and then search accounts for 27% so that'll be people that are searching for you know well not for news but you know Liverpool team news or mm. people that are searching for you know old swan news and then they'll mm. land on to whatever it is that, that we're offering so that's something else as much as search on social media a lot of what we do has to be optimized for search so we need to think what are people going to be searching if um if the the new Stephen Graham and Jodie Comer um drama that's about care workers in Liverpool what are people going to be searching about that are they going to be searching what have I seen Stephen Graham in before or are they going to be searching you know where is Jodie Comer from in Liverpool if they're trying to pick out her accent and things like that mm. um <clears throat> pardon me but going back to how we write things, I think social media informs the way we write in the same way as thinking of your readership always have. So always has. Mm. So when I was being taught to write news stories, I was taught about the pyramid of news. So you put the kind of most important details at the top, the bits sure. that you absolutely have to get in, and then you can go into you know additional background details, interesting quotes, kind of context gets added in later on and I think that's the same whether you're aware that someone reads a very short amount of something on a mobile phone or whether you're writing a newspaper that is going for print production and wanting to get the kind of the bit that's going to grab people in the first line so I think it's the same it's just the way that people are consuming things is slightly different but the way that we when we have new reporters come in what we always try and explain to them is um when you're writing the first line of any story how would you explain it to someone in the pub so if you were going out to meet your mates after work and went, a man broke into a pub with a machete and attacked loads of people, like that's that's what you do. Not <laughs> police were police were called today after reports of a disturbance in which like the, the way that you would describe it to someone, mm. to one of your mates is the way you want to describe it to our reader because that's going to be the most interesting thing. And I think that's the same whether it's a newspaper or whether someone's reading it on a mobile phone. Mm, that's yeah, that's uh, I'm kind of reminded of um 
uh, I'm not sure how familiar Hong Kong readers will be with the uh, the headlines of Neil Docking, but certainly <laughs> over the years, he's someone who I'm not sure if I want to kind of like uh, link to any of his headlines in the show notes <laughs> below, but he's certainly someone who... Um, Neil's someone who is a great example of how to do headlines well, because he, he sees it as a genuine craft. Like, and it is, I think there are stories that Neil has reported on that could have a very boring headline that could be... <laughs> man jailed for 25 years for x whereas neil will pick out the the, like the human interest elements of a story that either make it feel relatable to you that make you realize that we're all incredibly vulnerable and this could have happened to anyone or that Mm. that grab the attention and not in a kind of in an unfair way or in a way that is kind of intrusive or even kind of sensationalist they just pick out the details that to any any person are the most attention grabbing parts of the story and Mm. he just knows how to kind of weave them all together and do it in a way that is perfect and like when watching him try and make a headline is brilliant because he's like there was this detail but also I really want to get in this but this 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 and he's trying to fit all this into 65 characters so that it displays on Twitter it's really really hard. I think coming back to that Twitter thing for a moment is, um, or maybe it's not necessarily just limited to Twitter, but clickbait seems to be a word which everyone knows of nowadays, anyone who owns a computer. Within the industry, to what extent has it become a necessary evil? Do you all just sit around the big conference sort of table with the croissants discussing clickbait, or is it kind of something which... um, it just goes without saying that you have to build into the headlines or the 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 the, the links on social media. So I think you're right to say clickbait is something that everyone is aware of. But I think it's something that very few people actually understand the meaning of. Um, mm. So clickbait is an article that promises something in the headline that it does not deliver in the copy. So if mm. it says um, Holly Willoughby. Um, Holly Willoughby makes a blunder, uh, you know, fan shocked by Holly Willoughby's blunder on this morning. Um, and you read the copy and that there isn't there is no blunder there's no mention of what it actually is she's not done anything that's clickbait or um, you know one way that you can like one way you can save money on your car insurance and you just there's, there's nothing there's there it's nothing to contain in the copy so that's kind of the the purest definition of clickbait I think that we can probably expand it to some extent to so if someone says, you know, um, Jeremy Clarkson makes makes terrible gaff on um, on who wants to be a millionaire, and the gaff is a very minor, like you know, he he stumbles over his words or something. That's not what mm. we would describe as a positive user experience. So if you read it and you're like, oh, what's it going to be? And then you click on it, and you go, oh, that's a disappointing, isn't it? That I would also define as clickbait because you're not getting out of an article what you wanted when you went to click on it. So I think we try to avoid that where possible um I'd say that sometimes we're not perfect at it and I don't think a lot of publications are perfect at doing that because there is the desire to get people to engage with your website um and there's the desire to kind of continue to feed an audience that that wants that kind of content so I think a lot of the time when people see content like that they think that we're trying to trick people or treating them like they're stupid but the reality is that a lot of people actually really enjoy that content a lot of people like to read about Holly Willoughby's dress a lot of people like to know about what happened on the chase um and that that's the point of it being free (laughs) is that you don't have to click Mm. on it you don't have to engage with it you don't have to read those stories um but I think in terms of other headlines that kind of aren't that wouldn't fall into like the celebrity showbiz tv news I think that it's obviously something that we 
that we think about is how attention grabbing and how interesting and how engaging can we make our headlines and a lot of the time that comes down to the fact that for example it might be a story about someone that's raising money for a rare condition um, that they've been diagnosed with or a family member has been diagnosed with that they really want more people to know about so mm. if I was to headline that story man diagnosed with incredibly rare condition wants to raise awareness 50 people might read it whereas if the headline is you know man notices x symptom such and then this is what happens you're gonna get 50,000 people clicking on it thinking Oh, what thinking like I've had that symptom, not not to say like we're a symptom, but if we listed what it was. So, you know, mum who, you know, mum who found bruises all over her arms is diagnosed with leukemia. You're thinking, oh, well, I'm a mum. I've always got bruises on me. I'm always picking the kids up and I'm always doing this, this and that. I think mm. you have to find a way to make something relatable to make it something people want to engage with and want to read. And that's how we do the important part of it, which is actually raising awareness or getting a story out to people. But um, it's definitely something we think of in terms of how do we get people to click on this story? But I think that just, it, again, is a continuation of how do we get people to pick up this newspaper? How mm. do we get people to to read, you know, past the front page? How do we get people to do this? Because we've always wanted to make our stories seem interesting. We've always wanted to pick out the kind of the details that feel most relatable um, and, and feel most engaging to our readers. It's just that now we have to do that in a world where you can just scroll straight past it. Yeah. I think with the sports section as well, it's it is a particularly good example of that. Like whenever I go to the Liverpool news section of the, the the Echo, I know exactly what I'm getting myself in for. When I see a headline that says Jurgen Klopp decision regarding Joe Gomez yeah. reveals summer plans, and it's like I know it's not going to be we're selling him to you know Man yeah. United or Everton or somewhere like that. But I yeah, I completely take your point there that it's you're in competition not with other newspapers but it's anyone with a phone on twitter who likes to call themselves a football agent or someone who's uh supposedly in the know i mean at least it's true you know like um everything that kind of you end up reading on the echo is absolutely true as opposed to a lot of what you get in social media um i'd like to think so <laughs> i think it's also i think we as well we have a kind of a skewed perception in terms of where we're looking constantly at all of the other publications within our group as well. So we're mm. seeing how are, the, how are the Manchester Evening News headline in their stories about City? You know, how, mm. are, how are the Birmingham Mail headline in their stories? How are they doing this and that? And I think it's, when we see how they're doing it, you almost, it, it's like the Neil Docking buzz off it. You're like, oh, that's a really good way to headline that. Like if, if you kind of, you find new ways of phrasing it where you go, oh yeah, that's a, that's a clever turn of phrase or that's a good way of describing it. So I think we, because we're constantly monitoring what the other websites are doing, we see it and we go, that's a great way of, of phrasing that. So I think that might be why it feels like there's kind of a critical mass around it it's because we're all learning from each other and like copying what other people are trying to see do readers like this do they respond well to this do they feel that this is a fair headline for this story um, and if you get feedback where a lot of people are saying did not like this this is not what I expected it to be you can't oh, well, do that again mm. it, like going back to the readership um or the, the echoes relationship with the readership do you think it's changed at all I know you've obviously worked there for a while now and um but do you think it's changed since you know, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s. Do you think what with Twitter, social media, the internet, everything, is there an increased desire to be more sensational or to have better reliability of news coverage or is it is it business as, as usual? I think 
think we feel a greater responsibility to be seen as a reliable source of local news because I think in the past that wouldn't have been questioned. It, it wouldn't have been questioned that you pick up your local mm. paper and it'll be a reliable source of local news. Whereas now people know there is a lot of false information in the world that there is, that there are people kind of seeking to convey mistruths for whatever their ends may be. And I think it's something that then kind of wrongly gets thrown at people that are just trying to report on local news. And I think especially with the coronavirus, we've seen a lot of that um, in terms of reporting on deaths, reporting on people's personal stories and reporting on, you know, the vaccination rollout across Merseyside, things like that. It's I think it's more important than ever to know that readers trust us um, and that they see us as, as a kind of source of good local news. So I think that's something that we all take very seriously um, and is kind of a, a point of great concern and a point of great upset when you feel like that may not be the case or when people kind of try and accuse you of otherwise um, doing mm. so. But I think the Echo's got a really unique relationship with its local community in a way that no other local newspaper in the UK has. And I know I'm biased, but it is absolutely true. When um, when all of the local newspapers within our group, so Reach PLC owns most of the local titles in the UK, um, most of them got turned into a few years ago into Birmingham Live, Wales Online, um, mm. into kind of live title sites. The Echo was one of two that maintained its name because the Echo is the Echo. There's no chance that you'd be able to call it Liverpool mm. Live in Liverpool. It's just known as the Echo. And it's kind of, it's a part of common parlance in Liverpool. People say, okay, if you don't do that, you'll end up in the Echo or, you know, I just think people talk about the Echo as if it's a family member, which is why mm. I think people see it as acceptable to slate us and to have a go at us and to kick off at us because it's all right when it's your family member, you're allowed to say it and no one else is. Um, and I think that's why a lot of the time you take the um, negative comments or the abuse or kind of the the less favourable feedback on the chin. Um, you obviously take note of it. And if there's things you need to change, then you do so. But I think a lot of the time it's one of those where, you know, oh, I can have a go at him because he's my brother, but no one else can. Yeah, there's a quite an interesting thing that happened over the summer last year. I think it was... Um, I can't remember the exact sort of issue that, um, that 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 came up, but basically the Echo was fed a certain bit of information about uh, the football club, about Liverpool, and it had come from the club itself. And it turned out that it was, I think it was about buying that Thiago Alcantara and like the club had basically said, there's no way we're buying him. And the paper got told that. And I remember hearing people on the Anfield rap, which for people who don't know, is kind of like a fan-run um, uh, podcast or like media company. And they were actively, like, they were angry. It wasn't, they, they didn't belittle the echo. They didn't say, oh God, you know, they've lost touch or this, that and the other. It was quite an impassioned criticism of, you know, a very storied and well-liked football club in the area. So that certainly rings true with me. Yeah, it's quite a, it's nice that the, the the region has that relationship with the paper. One one thing I have noticed in recent times, and it's not just the Echo that does it, it's it must be every single publication in the country. There seems to be like a weird meta thing going on where sometimes stories are created out of social media. So I remember seeing in the paper a few weeks ago or months ago that the former mayor of Liverpool had complained because he was facing quite a lot of criticism online. And, you know, I read through the, the 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 article and I'm not the biggest fan of the, the the previous mayor. And quite a lot of it was written in a way which provoked, you know, a laugh from me. I thought it was very funny the way it was written because it had taken comments from social media, which were intended to be humorous and it had repurposed them in the article. 
Um, is that something that you've noticed in your time since you've been at the Echo, the kind of repurposing of stuff that uh, kind of uh, originates on social media and then becomes part of um, the newspaper? And like how, how often or to what extent, how common are those stories on average? Yeah, absolutely. So that, that, that's something that has very much started since I started at the Echo. I remember in my first first year probably being asked to write what's called a social reaction piece and not knowing what it was. Mm. So the way I see social reaction pieces is if you had a crime scene or if there was a big event that happened in an area, what we would always do and what we still do is go out and knock on people's doors to get local reaction. So to ask people, you know, how do you feel about this? What's your response to this? What are the community saying? Um, and a lot of the time it's, you know, shock, sadness, the, the kind of the, the expectation that you'd have of what people would say in, in response to a, an event or a crime or something happening in their local area. And I think now so much more of us live our lives on social media as a community as much as we do in our local area that it's like a, a new version of that so the reaction to if there's a big story that happens in Liverpool everyone's talking about it there's an online community be it in our comment section be it on Facebook of people that are engaging with each other having a debate talking about it you know giving their reaction to things that's what a social reaction story is. So it's kind of the modern equivalent of speaking to the community to get their reaction to a story, which we still do out on the streets, but it's doing it in kind of the modern community of social media. It's a place where we all speak to each other. It's a place that we all interact and it's a place that you, you can often get a really good measure of how people feel about something. So if there's a new development proposed for the city centre, you can quite quickly pick up from the comment section, tell you what people aren't happy about oh, this yeah. or wow, people, yeah. people seem generally very, very in support of this. So I think it's we live so much of our lives on social media that it is the modern equivalent of our local community. So it's a kind mm -hmm. of a, an online version of that very old story. Um, what kind of conversations do you think editors are having nowadays in terms of the way um, the profession's going? So earlier on, you talked about the the kind of the, the the triangle formation of having your most important or your most like vital information on top and it descending according to importance. I mean, I remember when I was at school, I used to get told off because I didn't remember what a byline was or because I didn't in, include, you know, a certain aspect of what, what are people discussing like within the offices of the Echo with regard to, like I said, where, the professions going what do you think the current generation of students will need to approach the industry and and will it be a different way that you approached it or yeah how, how do you see that playing out for the next generation of journalists or reporters I think for young journalists getting into the industry now the first thing you need is a thick skin um it's mm. much harder in that regard I mean you've always needed the thick skin because knocking on people's doors isn't easy and it's quite nerve-wracking but I think social media gives that a new meaning and I think people are much nastier on social media than they would ever dare to be to your face so I think that's that's the most important thing that anyone would need going into the industry now is um, a thick skin the willingness to try your hand at anything um, the willingness to kind of be a jack of all trades and be able to master video and to do all sorts of different things like that um, and I think also to understand that you're not going to 
start out writing comment pieces for the guardian that there are no small stories only small journalists so you need to start out being happy to just get those bylines and being happy to do that and i think that probably hasn't changed but i think people's expectations may have changed because anyone can be a celebrity on instagram now and anyone can be anyone can have a platform on social media that i think it's sometimes hard to understand but important to remember that in traditional media you do still have to work to get to that um mm. So I think the understanding that overnight kind of success and an immediate following aren't really things in traditional media. You need to you need to build them up. Um, but in terms of the conversations that that the industry is having, I guess it's just how we how we stay relevant and how we move forward and how we deal with all of these new challenges of, you know, people not reading things for very long. So the engagement time on stories being mm-hmm. very short on on mobile devices. Um, so what is it that, that we can do to change that? Um, how can we deal with you know people's perceptions of misinformation how can we make sure that we're seen as a trusted form of local news um how can we write headlines that people find engaging for social media um and also i think a big thing that that the industry seems to be getting into at the minute is um is data so the idea of getting people to sign up getting to know more about our readers um which sounds ominous but is actually quite friendly so <laughs> i think in terms of knowing um how many of our readers are from old swan how many of our readers are from formby how many readers are in their 50s how many readers watch the chase and so i think it's knowing things like that to know well absolutely loads of our well we know that we're that you know 99 percent of our readership are labor voters so we know that those are the kinds of stories that that people want to read about politics we know what our kind of social and political agenda is because of that if we want to represent our readerships i think we want to know, you know, have our readers got kids? Do they care about parenting stories? Do our readers mm-hmm. go on foreign holidays? Do they care if we write about, you know, flights, flight rules, about holiday rules, about this and that? So I think getting to know your readership in a way that we've never been able to before, and we now can because of the internet. So by asking people, would you like to sign up to a newsletter and tell us a bit more about yourself? Would you like to, you know, become a part of our online, like become kind of a, a member of our newspaper and and tell us a bit more about yourself so that we can make sure our news better reflects what you'd like to know and so I think that's a big thing that there seems to be a lot of a lot of a a push for at the minute. That's it's quite interesting it kind of it chimes rather with teaching in a way in the sense that you know there's been a big rush for technology and the apps and the, the lots of different things that can support teaching but I had a conversation with an ed tech uh, expert the other day and he said fundamentally 98% of the job is still teaching and 2% is uh, embellishing your ability to kind of reach the, the, the students. So that that's quite interesting. I suppose like news or print media and that kind of thing, it, it is still hard work. It is still making yourself a reliable source, a hard work in person, but maybe like you say, branching out to video audio editing these things which are more and more readily available to train yourself in online um mm, yeah okay um all, all that remains to be said uh now Amelius, thank you very much for uh giving me the opportunity to speak to you today and um i'm sure everyone who listened can um take something away in terms of understanding how to teach towards people who are interesting uh interested towards like taking journalism at university and how we can supplement that in high schools and middle schools but also the students themselves who might want to be uh, working in print media one day so thank you very much no worries at all thank you <laughs>